Um, and uh, since then, I've given birth to my son Joshua, our son Joshua, who's now 15 months old and um, very active, dramatic, driven, focused. Um, so I feel for him. I know some of the pain of those things. Um, uh, but that's been enjoyed. My husband's name is Andrew. Um, so we have three of us at home. I have a mum and a dad back in Sydney, and I'm uh, one of uh, four children. And um, Stephanie, what occupies your time generally? Yeah. Um, well, I'm a, a wife to Andrew, and um, in, in terms of what my work week looks like and my um, family week, uh, I work uh, four days a week at City on a Hill, uh, which is uh, a church of multiple locations. Uh, I work uh, primarily the one in Melbourne, in Melbourne Central. I'm the women's ministry director there, so I oversee the teaching, training, discipleship of women, which is really exciting. I'm uh, really passionate about seeing women step up and step out with the gifts that God has given them, using them for, for His glory in the church. So it's been wonderful to see women grow, exploring their gifts and using that in a way that really blesses others. Um, and uh, yeah, the rest of the time I'm at home with, with Josh. Um, my husband also works four days a week, so uh, you know, we kind of alternate who's at home and who's at work, and uh, that's lots of fun. So, yeah. Now, one more very important theological question. <laughs> What's your favorite food? <laughs> well, we actually did have a sermon at church the other week on eating together. So, yeah, big theological question. Um, uh, well, generally I try to eat healthily, but I do love, um, you know, on a Saturday morning off, going with um, my husband and Bob to um, the local shops to get a really good pastry. Um, so... I have to say probably the best croissant I've tried is at Loon, you know, bakery in Fitzroy. Some people know. Okay. It's spelled, thank you, someone's with me. Amen, sister. Um, Yeah, L-U-N-E, Fitzroy. I don't work for them. I won't get any commission. Um, Excellent pastry. Yeah, that's my lashing out moment. There you go. There's a bit of free advertising. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, I'd just like to pray for Stephanie and commit this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this precious time we can have together. Uh, Father, I thank you for your servant, Stephanie. I thank you for what she has prepared to share with us tonight. And I pray that each of us will have hearts to listen and learn and be encouraged. Uh, Please be with us, Father, as um, Stephanie speaks. And we thank you for her in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your prayers. Julie mentioned she enjoyed meeting me. It was such a delight, uh, Julie, to meet you a number of months ago as well. Um, It was clear that Julie has a great love for Jesus and a great love for all of you. And actually what I've um, really enjoyed just being here tonight and having conversation on on our table is um, it seems to be a real sense that this is a very special place. People love being part of this community, particularly this community of women here at Canterbury Gardens Community Church. Uh, I sense the real love for a community of women of all ages and the strength that comes from that, drawing on one another's testimonies of how God is working in each of your lives and the way that you care for one another. So thank you for allowing me to be part of that tonight. It's a, it's a real joy to be part of that and to see what God is doing in your life and your life as a community. Well, I want to uh, begin uh, by taking us to a Canadian author. Uh, In 1908, Canadian author Lucy Maud 
Montgomery. Uh, she published the, what is the, now the famous children's mo- uh, novel, Anne of Green Gables. Any Anne fans out there? Quite a few. Hooray. Um, Anne Shirley, I probably don't need to give you any of this background, but let's do it for fun. Anne Shirley is an 11-year-old orphan girl. Uh, she's uh, intensely creative. She's a passionate young woman, but she really struggles with her sense of belonging and security growing up in an orphanage. She never knew that secure, loving family home. She was taken into a number of foster homes as a young girl, but the, the foster homes, in those homes, the relationships were temporary. And not only so, but more often than not, they were abusive and exploitative. She wasn't seen as a child to be loved. She was seen as a servant to be used. And yet, despite the bleakness of her world, of her experience, Anne had a a deep longing to belong. She had a deep longing to be secure, to have a family of her very own. And that is why Anne became overjoyed when a middle-aged brother and sister, Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert, made the decision to adopt Anne formally into their family. So I don't know if you've seen it. There's this uh, excellent Netflix TV series, uh, Anne of Green Gables, uh, which marks that there's a scene that marks the moment where Anne is finally adopted into this family. It's, it's an amazing scene. Uh, not knowing that Marilla is about to invite her into the, her family, Anne brings up the topic of names. And she says, Marilla, I would love to call you Aunt Marilla. She said, that would make me feel like I really belong to you. Now, being a bit of a traditionalist, Marilla sort of dismisses her request, but then, to Anne's surprise, she actually advances Anne's offer. And she refers to their family record book and she says, she says, speaking of names, we'd like you to sign this. We'd like you to take our name if it appeals to you. Uh, Matthew, Marilla's brother, is standing nearby near the book and he said, I've got the pen, Anne, it's all ready for you. And Anne looks kind of with astonishment and she says, you want me to be a Cuthbert? A real Cuthbert. And Matthew says, we do, we want our name to belong to you. And Anne just announces, she says, I'm going to belong. And she takes a deep breath, she walks towards the book and she begins to cry and, and she just can't believe it's happening. She says, I can't believe this is happening. So I don't think I've ever been so excited in my whole life, which is a big deal if you know anything about Anne. She's an excitable kind of young woman. Anne brings the pen towards the paper and she says, with this pen, I take you, Marilla, and Matthew to be my family forever, to call you mine and to be yours for always. It's beautiful, isn't it? Such a, a beautiful expression of love, of belonging. And you know, I, I think there's a reason that our hearts saw when we see this, this scene. Our hearts saw with Anne in this profound moment in her life. And I think whether we've grown up in a, in a stable, loving family environment or family that was perhaps unstable, or uncertain, or even unsafe at times. 
Isn't it true that each of us desire relationships that tell us that we are okay? And not only that we are okay, but that we are wanted, that we are safe, that we are loved, that we belong. And it's that same insecurity that we each long to find that we also fear that we will lose one day, don't we? You know, just at the moment that you think that you are safe, that you feel that you are secure, that fear of loss enters in. We've seen people come and we've seen people go, haven't we? You know, we've, we've known that that warmth of conversation and laughter and love, but we've also known, haven't we, that bit of coal of silence. We've known that friend who perhaps no longer initiates or applies, the boyfriend that withdraws, the husband that walks away, the dementia, the cancer that steals away the one that we love. And uh, our future at that point is no longer what we thought it would be. Friends, this is the world that we live in, isn't it? This is the world that we know. It's a world that is insecure and we feel it. It's a world where relationships, they aren't certain, where the shadow of death, it looms large, where the fear of separation is real. It's a world where we're on that constant search to belong, to be safe, to be secure. And so the question is, well, where do we go with this longing in a world that is insecure? What do we do with that? Where do we find contentment in a world of insecurity? To whom or where do we go to hear those words? You are safe. You are secure. You belong. You are mine. I want us to carry these thoughts in our minds as we explore just for a moment what the Bible has to say about this longing, how that Bible speaks in to our desire to be secure, to know good news, to know joy in a world of insecurity. I'm going to move uh, through the rest of this talk in three parts. First part, I'll talk about the secure God that we have. In the second part, I'm going to talk about our secure union. And in the third part, I'll talk about how the secure God and a secure union challenges us in unique ways. So our first part, a secure God. Uh, In the Old Testament, there's this great moment where God's people, Israel, they're on the verge of entering into the land that God has promised them. Moses, if you've heard of Moses, Moses is their great leader. And it's under this leadership that God had guided his people out of slavery in Egypt. It's under the leadership of Moses that God had guided them through the desert for 40 years. It's under the leadership of Moses that they had received instructions for worship at Mount Sinai, that they'd known the presence of God with them, who guided them by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud during the day. It's under the leadership of Moses that God provided food for Israel in the wilderness. He provided quail at night. He provided manna in the morning. And here, under the leadership of Moses, they are finally on the brink of seeing God's 
promises fulfilled, promises a blessing of knowing a land of their own. A land that God has prepared, a land that God has preserved for them for all these years. It would be easy, wouldn't it, for Israel, God's people at this point, to look to Moses for security, wouldn't it? It would be easy for them to think, well, we have come this far under the leadership of Moses. God has done great things through the leadership of Moses. You know, as long as we have Moses, then we're going to be okay on the other side. As long as we have Moses, we shall not fear. We shall not be discouraged. But here, as they stand on the brink of the promised land, Moses makes to them what seems to be quite an inconvenient announcement for God's people. This is what he says. He says, I'm now 120 years old and I am no longer able to lead you. Fair enough, Moses. It's pretty good, right? 120 years on. He goes, the Lord himself, he goes before you. He will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You know, aren't these significant words? He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. In other words, Moses is saying, Israel, it's not about me. It's not about me. You don't need me, Israel. It's it's about the Lord. You need his presence. You need his leadership. You need his power. You need his commitment. You need his love. Why? Because the Lord, not me, is your powerful creator, your loving heavenly father. He knows you. He loves you. And it is him who is with you. He is the one who is good. He is the one who is true. He is the one who is full of affection for his people. And he is the one who is powerful to act on their behalf. And not only is powerful enough to do that, but is willing because he loves them. And this is the God that is promising to be with and for Israel every step of the way. What does this offer of security for Israel thousands of years ago? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me tonight, here, today? Well, security that God offered Israel back then, and the security that God offers us is not just in what God gives. It's not just in what God gives. For Israel, it was not just that God was going to give them land. It was not just that God was going to defeat their enemies. For us, it's not just that if you are a Christian, he gives you forgiveness. That is wonderful. It's not just that he gives you salvation for your sin or that he gives you hope, beautiful hope for the future. You see, the ultimate blessing for Israel, and the ultimate blessing for us is not these things. It is God. It is God himself. You see, God doesn't give us himself because he has first of all given us salvation. Let me say that again. God doesn't give us himself because he has first of all given us salvation. God gives us salvation. Why? Because he has first of all given us himself. 
God is the ultimate treasure. God is the ultimate grace. He's given us himself in Jesus through our union with Christ. This brings me to this next point, a secure union. I'm going to talk about union with Christ for a moment, okay? Our union with Christ, and some of this, some of you I hear actually may have heard me talk about this a little bit if you were at Entrust Conference. You may recognize an illustration, just flagging that. So during that, like, that moment, like, hey, I'm sure she's said that before. Yes, I have, and I'm owning it again. Uh, union with Christ. To be united with Christ, if you haven't heard this kind of concept before, uh, what's involved in that is the idea of participating in Christ, right? To participate in, in Christ, his body and his person. Now, it's, it's kind of a bit of a bizarre concept, I think, for us. The, the idea of participating in a person is perhaps a little bit too intimate for us, a little bit too uncomfortable, perhaps. But I actually think it's this intimacy which makes it so profound. Uh, I think the closest we get to understanding this, uh, and this is what I, I shared if you're in Trust Conference, is uh, pregnancy, right? So my son Josh, as I shared before, 15 months old now. Um, and so it wasn't that long ago that I was pregnant, but I've actually just been fascinated by pregnancy for a little a little while, I'm the, I'm the youngest of um, four, and I've seen n- multiple of uh, siblings fall pregnant. It's just an amazing thing, isn't it? Uh, when a mother carries a child inside of her body, the oxygen of the child is the oxygen of the mother. The food of the child is the food of the mother. The waste of the child even becomes the waste of the mother. Crazy. And this is true, why? Because the child is inside its mother. It's a profound thing, isn't it? They have bodily participation with one another. The realities of mother and child, they're shared because they are in union with each other. Well, for the person who has put their faith in Jesus, in Christ... That person is in Christ. They have bodily participation with one another. Their reality and Christ's reality are shared because they are in union. So what this means is that if you are in Christ, where Christ is, that's where you are. And where you are, that's where Christ is. Being in Christ says, not only am I where Christ is, and not only is Christ where I am, but because of that, what is Christ's is also mine. Well, what is it about this union with Christ that brings that security that we long for, the security that I, that I talked about earlier? Well, in a chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 5, that some of you might be familiar with, all of humanity, says the Apostle Paul who writes it, all of humanity, according to God, exists in either one or two realities, okay? The Apostle Paul says that if you are not in Christ, if you're not united to Christ, then you're actually united to someone else. You are united to Adam. 
And for those of, who, those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you may remember that Adam was the very first human being way back in Genesis. The first human being created by God and therefore made for relationship with God as his creator. And yet Adam, as would every other human being who followed after him, Adam didn't choose relationship with God. Adam chose independence from God. He chose not to listen to the commands that God caused him to, God intended for him to flourish as a human being. And not only did not, he not listen to them, he fundamentally shunned them. And as a result, he shunned God. And he turned his shoulder on God. And in doing so, the Bible tells us, we read in Romans 5, that he chose, Adam chose death. He chose condemnation. And here is the hard truth. In the Bible, we read that all of us by nature participate in Adam. All of us by nature participate in Adam because all of us by nature, well, we are like him. You know, we do not love the idea of being ultimately accountable to God as our maker. But we do, by nature, love the idea of taking things into our own hands, don't we? We do, by nature, love that idea of being in control and of being independent. And so we, by nature, we're like Adam. Adam's trajectory is ours. We are, by nature, condemned because Adam was condemned and we are in him. We are by nature subject to death because Adam died and we are in him. But my sisters in Christ, in the person of Jesus, is an incomparable trajectory. And that is the good news that I have to share with you this evening. Those who are in Jesus are not condemned. They are accepted. Those who are in Jesus, they will rise to eternal life even though they die. Do you know why? Because Christ, well, he was not like Adam. Christ obeyed where Adam failed. Adam chose independence from God and and Christ chose trust in God. Adam chose rebellion and Christ chose obedience. And because Christ obeyed, he was declared by God to be right before God. Without guilt, without sin. In other words, he was justified. Jesus was justified before God. And that declaration was made no more powerfully than in his resurrection from the dead. You see, because Christ obeyed, the tomb could not contain Christ. Because Christ obeyed, Christ passed through death into eternal, everlasting, physical, resurrected life. And here's the good news. If you have union with Christ, if you are in Jesus, if you participate in his person, his trajectory is yours. If you have put your faith in Christ, all that is Christ is yours today. If you are in Christ, you are seated with him in the heavenly realms because that's where Christ is and you are in him. If you are in Christ, your future bodily resurrection from the grave is secured. 
because Christ rose from the grave and you are in him. If you are in Christ, you are a child of God. Why? Because Christ is the Son of God and you are in him. If you are in Christ, you have peace with God because Christ has peace with God and you are in him. If you are in Christ, you are no longer condemned because Christ buried your sin in the tomb and you know what? He rose above it and you are in him. If you are in Christ, whether you feel it or not, you belong to God right now in the present and will dwell with him in the world to come. In other words, my sisters in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are secure. The question I want to ask is, if you are in Christ, do you know that? Do you believe that? Are you choosing to live in light of that kind of security? Friends, those of us who are united and secure in Christ, well, this security, it can't leave us the same. It challenges us to live in new and profound ways. And I want to share some of these ways with you this evening. You know, the wonderful news is that although our world is a world of insecurity, we no longer have to live as those who are insecure. That is totally countercultural, isn't it, in our world today? We no longer need to seek security or contentment in our own achievements. If you're anything like me, that will be a challenge. Or in others, we don't need to do that though. Because in Christ, we are secure. And because we are secure, we are free to live courageously for Jesus. Uh, There are a number of ways that this, I think, expresses itself. I'm just going to talk through a few of them at the moment. Uh, Firstly, for me, it is living courageously for Jesus as I risk failure. Uh, Hands up all the perfectionists in the room. Oh, they're shy about it. They're the hands down here. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of us uh, out there. I think probably uh, a fair few of us. Um, if that's you, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry because I know the burden that's upon you. I know the burden because I share it, right? Uh, what is the burden? Well, it's the desire to do everything perfect. Or the desire not to do certain things out of fear that it won't be perfect, right? That's the lens with which we kind of accept what we're able to take on. Could I make it perfect? Maybe I'll take it on. Is there a risk of failure? Definitely not, right? The risk is, the challenge is, and well, the problem is, because our reality is that we are limited people, right? We're limited in so many ways. We're limited in capacity, in competence, in creativity, in our resources, in our leadership. If we really lived up to our own commitment to perfectionism, then we would only ever do nothing. Isn't that true? Or we do stuff because we know we have to and we want to, but we just live in that constant fear of our commitments going bad, right? That fear of failure that fear of what other people will think if it's not to the vision or the standards that we set up for ourselves, the fear of what we will think of ourselves. 
that feeling, awareness of our limitations, feeling of insecurity, that fear of being embarrassed by the gaps of our own competencies and anxious of the future. But the thing is that for those of us who are secure in Jesus, who cannot be separated from his love, his mercy and kindness of God, well, our self-worth doesn't rest on our own achievements. Our self-worth isn't dependent on perfection. For those of us who are secure in Jesus, we can risk failure. We can even welcome criticism. Why? Because we are because failure no longer shakes us. Criticism, criticism is no longer a threat to our worth. Friends, isn't it true that the more deeply content we are in God, the more that we know our security in Christ, the more willing we are to step out for Jesus in bold and courageous ways to talk to someone about Jesus, to have a go at preaching a sermon or leading a Bible study or or getting alongside a woman who needs some support, of witnessing our faith, of welcoming a newcomer, of being involved in the band, of asking for help. And as I've talked to some women of this community, it's been a huge encouragement to me to hear of the many ways that God's grace to the women here at Canby Gardens Community Church has been a work empowering women here to live courageously for Jesus in wonderful ways. You know, there are women here who are standing up for Jesus in their workspace that is incredibly hostile to Jesus. There are mothers here who continue to persist in love, in prayer for their children, who continue to reject them and show aggression towards them. There are others who have taken bold steps of faith and courage to share the gospel, uproot their lives overseas, interstate. There are wives in this community who continue to remain faithful for Jesus, trusting him, praying to him, witnessing the gospel to their unbelieving husbands. And, And there are single women here who are committed to trusting Jesus with their singleness and using their singleness, their circumstance to live for Jesus in ways they couldn't otherwise. And what I love about this is that even though these acts of faith haven't been easy for many of these women, What they reflect is a courage that is fueled by deep security in Jesus, a deep contentment in him. You see, the more that we know contentment in Christ, the less failure is a threat to that contentment. Well, secondly, the security of our union with Jesus challenges us to live courageously by sharing security with others. Think about friendship for a moment. You know, our society, doesn't it tell us that friendship, it's a relationship of convenience, not commitment? That's what we hear from our our world. You know, we are free to distance ourselves from our friends when things are difficult. 
when friends disagree with us, and at that point it's easier to retreat, isn't it, than to work through our disagreements, to love despite difference. When friends fail us, when they drop off the radar for a time, when they fail to acknowledge the important things that are going on in our life, our world welcomes retreating. But I want to suggest that the Christian person who knows what it means to belong, and not just to belong, but to belong to the one who is completely loving, who is completely powerful, who is all-knowing, all-good, well, she has a security, that woman, that enables her to risk being insecure with other people. She has a security that empowers her to enter into inconvenient relationships. She has a security that allows her to be vulnerable to her friends, even though there may be no vows on offer. She has a security that empowers her to say to her friends, perhaps not all of them, but perhaps a few of them, you know, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And for those of us who know that unfailing security and comfort that's found in Jesus, what could it look like to share that security with others? How can we shine that light of Christ's love into the church and into the world. Now, for those of us who are married, perhaps this looks like opening our homes to our single friends, perhaps inviting them to live with us for a time or perhaps permanently to be involved with the raising of our children. For those of us who are single, perhaps that looks like committing to live with a friend for a time or permanently. Perhaps it looks like being that one who makes yourself available, not only in their significant moments in their life, but in the day-to-day, to be the one to pick them up at the airport or to go along to a, a medical appointment. Well, the final challenge that we're going to reflect on this evening is the challenge to remember. Uh, I've been a Christian now for 14 years. Uh, which isn't really a long time in the scheme of things, but each year is another year on from that first day that I put my trust in Jesus. I first became united to Jesus. And it's interesting for me to reflect on where I've come from since then, since that first day. It's interesting for me to consider my feelings towards God now, towards His undeserved kindness to me now, in comparison to that first day that I became a Christian. And, and there's a verse in a famous song, Amazing Grace, that helps me do that. I don't know if, if you know it. It's a verse that many of us have heard a million times, that I've heard a million times, and yet I'm prone to forget it. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. You know, when I sing that, I'm reminded of the truth of those lyrics. I'm reminded of how precious God's undeserved gift of life and peace with Him was for me in that moment when I first believed. But these lyrics also challenge me. 
You know, when I reflect on that moment, I also reflect on why God's grace seems less precious to me today. You know, why does my commitment to God seem lacking in comparison? It's not God's grace that has changed. It's not his mercy that has changed. I'm no less secure in Christ now than I was back then. I'm no less secure in the benefits of salvation that came to me on that day. It's not God's grace that has changed. It's got to be my perception of it. You know, I know that the security with God that I have is based not on my obedience, but on Christ's. On Christ's obedience, on his resurrection from the grave, and not mine. And yet, as the years go on, whether consciously or subconsciously, do you know what I do? I muddy God's grace with my own efforts. You know, I like to think that I can add something to my salvation, to God's grace. And here's when I think, think that I feel the gap most profoundly, when I fail. You know, when I fail to contribute the level of acceptability that I thought that I could, when I fail to be the friend that I know that I could be, when selfishness gets in its way, in my way, and I damage relationships, and then I become defensive rather than repairing them. And for many of us, that despair or disappointment of our failures, years of bad habits, breaks a relationship down permanently. And somehow, though we know that our security is grounded entirely on Jesus and not ourselves, somehow I feel less secure than I was on that first day, less rescued, less content. But it's no wonder, because by mudding God's grace with my attempt to be worthy of it, do you know what I do? I muddy God's grace. I rob God's grace from God's grace. It's no longer God's grace at that point. It's no longer his undeserved kindness, something I haven't earned. It's become something else. See, here's the thing. Your relationship with God is not dependent on you. It involves you, but it's dependent on Jesus. It's dependent on Christ. You know, that Christ rose from the grave and had victory over sin, death, and condemnation means that if you participate in Christ, his past acts have secured your present and your future. If you are in Christ, there is no more to be done. You know, sometimes I think we get so distracted by our own despair in the moment of failure or of insecurity that we fail to realize that what we're longing for is actually held out right in front of us. I um, was reminded of this a little while ago, um, a couple months ago now, I was feeding my baby, well, who's now a toddler, by the way, but was at the time baby Josh. And on occasion, uh, Josh would wake up super hungry and he'd be so distressed by his hunger that when I took him to my breast, he'd just cry so hysterically that he would fail to realize if only he stopped crying for a moment and started sucking, then what he was longing for was actually just right in front of him. You know, and sometimes I think my relationship with God is a little bit like that. You know, sometimes I can get so distracted by the despair of my own security that I, I forget that if only I reached out, the security of that mine is, 
is mine in Jesus is right there waiting for me. You know, we're so desperate to find security and contentment in our own goodness or in our own achievements that sometimes we fail to see that the security that we long for is found, it's found, is held out to us by our loving Father in heaven, in Jesus. You know, God's grace really is as precious as that hour you first believed. You know why? Because Christ is still where he is right now where he was at that hour. And if you have faith in him, you are still in him. Nothing has changed. And it's because of this, you can sing the second verse of Mad Grace, but also the third. Let me read that to you. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Now, friends, wouldn't it be great if we let our failures and our disappointments highlight the beauty of that truth rather than muddy it. You know, wouldn't it be great if we let that truth birth in us the contentment that it truly offers? Wouldn't it be great if we were a people who daily drew near to God in his word, remembering the security that is ours in Jesus? How about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a secure God who promises to never leave us, to never forsake us. Thank you, God, so much for your son, the person of Jesus. Thank you for his perfect life. Thank you for his death. Thank you for his resurrection where he triumphed over the grave and over sin. And thank you, God, that through him and in him, we who have faith in Jesus are secure in you. Heavenly Father, I pray for my sisters here. I pray that they might be challenged by your amazing grace in the person of the Lord Jesus. I pray that they might be challenged not only to cling to him in faith, but to remember your grace to them in Jesus, the grace which says to their souls, you are okay, you are saved, you are loved, that you belong. In Jesus' name.